That's cool. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke 2 today. Luke 2, we've been talking all month about how we can share Jesus, and we've been looking in the Christmas story of how God has already given us examples in His Word of how to share Jesus. And this morning, we're going to continue that as we look in Luke chapter 2. We've been talking a lot about Luke 2 this month. I hope you've had a good Christmas with your family. I hope you all had a wonderful time getting some uh, family time together. I hope you were intentional about spending time in the Word and having the Word of God present at your Christmas celebrations with your family. Uh, it's, a, it's been a wonderful week. I hope you've been able to enjoy it. I know we've had family members, church family members that are dealing with hard things. Um, we've had family uh, members that have dealt with loss or hospitalizations this week, and I encourage you to continue to pray for them uh, in the days ahead. But this morning, I want us to look at uh, an account found in Luke 2. It's a beautiful picture of sharing Jesus, and it is demonstrated through obedience. Now, I'm just going to let you know um, the Word of God is living and true. Thank you, sir. I'm glad you agree with that. I was hoping more than one person would. Uh, That was a joke. Stop it. Annie, you're looking at me like that. Just just quit. I get it. Here's what I want you to do. It is living. It is true. These are not just made-up stories that we read about on Scripture. This really happened. This was real life. And I love how God's Word lays it out for us so that when we study it, if we just use our imagination a little bit, we can almost see it come to life. We can almost see the words come off of page and see what it looks like. And today, I really want to encourage you, uh, as we walk through this text, to, to kind of let your imagination wander and think about what it must have looked like. Think of, think of what it, if you were standing in the room in these order of events, what would you have seen? What would you have experienced? And I want to kind of walk you through that to see the joy that is found in this passage of Scripture, to see the beauty uh, of what God has given us here in this Word. Because what we see here is obedience personified. And when there's obedience evident to God and his word, we see lives transformed. We see people respond in more obedience. So basically what I'm saying here is obedience leads to more obedience. Uh, And hopefully God's word will encourage us and challenge us to live in that context. So we're going to walk through this passage in Luke 2. And we're going to stop and just kind of talk about what we just read Uh, And we're going to walk through this. Y'all good with that? Fantastic. Well, let's get started. In Luke 2, everybody hears Luke 2 and be like, oh, the birth of baby Jesus. We did that. Uh, That actually happened. And we studied that a couple of times this month. But I want us to look just past that. Here we are on the 29th of December. We're just a few days after Christmas. And I was wondering, what, what happened after Christmas? What happened after that first Christmas? And we see at the back part of Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 22, let's look at this. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses. Hmm, required by the law of Moses. Do y'all remember what we talked about that a new age was upon us? What was the new age? A new age, the age of grace had entered in with Jesus. And what is it replacing or fulfilling? The age of the law. So even then, right after Jesus is born, we still see Mary and Joseph responding in obedience to the law. So we have this purification rites uh, of of the law of Moses. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. Quote, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. What it's talking about there is, is basically in, uh, in accordance to the law is that after uh, a son was to be born that the mother and the son was taken to the temple to this purification practice that was commonly done. Uh, this was done, if you do some research, this is actually probably about 41 days after Jesus was born. So here we are four days after Christmas, so like pretend it's 41 days later, uh, and that's what's taking place here. So Jesus is about 40 days old-ish, uh, and they go to present themselves in the temple. And I love um, in the law of the Lord that they were to bring a sacrifice, they were to offer, offer a sacrifice. Now the traditional offering of sacrifice was a lamb. But if you were poor, if you couldn't afford a lamb, if you didn't have one to spare, then your uh, sacrifice could instead be uh, what it talks about here. It could be two birds. It could be two uh, pigeons or two doves. Y'all know the actual type of dove. Anybody want to guess? Two turtle doves. You're absolutely right. So maybe, maybe some of these songs actually get their roots in, in the Bible. Who knows? Uh, that's actually truth for the record, but whatever. Uh, so we see this here. Now, look at this in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Now, let's look at Simeon's resume. Who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So here we have this snapshot of this guy named Simeon. Sounds like a pretty great guy, right? How do we know he's a great guy? Well, he's devout. We know he's, he's a, a student of the law. Uh, because obviously, as he's talking about here, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Means that he had studied the word and knew that something was going to take place. Probably like Paul, if you look in Romans chapter 7, don't do that now. If you look in Romans 7, Paul kind of breaks it down in the sense that, hey, you know what? I did everything I could and I still couldn't fulfill the law to its fullest because I'm a sinner. And at some point in time, I'm going to break the law because of my sinful nature. The law is impossible for any man to fulfill. Simeon was probably a student of the law and recognized the same thing. So when he's thinking about the consolation of Israel, how Israel was going to be brought to peace... He probably was thinking, man, I've studied the law, and uh, man, that's not it. There's something missing that's going to get us to that point of peace. And probably what he recognized in his study of the word was that missing peace was a Messiah. It says that he was waiting for the Lord's Messiah. And that's kind of a, a key word there, if you think about it. Because how many human messiahs do you think in Simeon in his lifetime had seen rise to power? How many times had you... And you believe that Simeon heard about, well, hey, you know, this guy is fixing to create a mutiny. And if he can take over the throne, then we're going to have peace. Well, hey, this, this guy named Herod is coming over and he's going to make everything right between Israel and Rome. Hey, there's this new guy. How many people's messiahs do you think Simeon had experienced and witnessed? Probably quite a few. Because everybody thinks the next guy is going to have it all figured out, right? It's important to think about going into an election year. So he's sitting here thinking about the consolation of Israel, thinking we cannot fulfill the law. No man can fulfill the law. There must be something missing, and that missing piece must be this Messiah that I see foretold about in the Scriptures. So he was waiting for this. 
it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, which is unique because we don't see the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit in its fullness until after Christ ascended at the Pentecost. We see in Acts, which we're studying in small groups, which start back up next Sunday night. Small groups resume next Sunday night. And if you're still looking for a small group, there's a sign-up list right out here. I encourage you to be a part of a group of, ple- of believers that walk through God's word together. So the, the fact that we see the Holy Spirit active and at work in Simeon's life tells us that this man is chasing after God. He's passionate about knowing God through his word. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, verse 26, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. All right, this is not biblical. This is just what I want to share with you. I've, I've heard that it's good to practice vulnerability. So uh, I'm a loser. And uh, when I was a teenager, I was a teenage loser. The ones that are quiet are like, I knew there was something we had in common. It's fine. I remember being a teenager, and, 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 and I was talking with Ben about this this morning. I, I absolutely was scared to death to talk to girls, all right? Like, I think I had a crush on, like, at one point in time on every girl I went to school with. That's how just sad it was. You know, it's like, maybe, maybe she'll talk. No? Okay. Uh, time to find a new crush. I mean, it was, it was just really sad, you know. Uh, it was constantly this desire of like, I wonder if I'll ever get married. I don't know. You have to have somebody actually on a date first. They, they got to start there. And that was a huge obstacle, mountain to climb. Uh, I don't want you to think I'm setting this up because um, by the grace of God, I married like the perfect woman for me. Um, so if you're out there, I'll just not make eye contact so nobody gets like convicted. If you're out there, God has a plan. Just trust his grace. Um, so anyway. But I remember being a teenager. I remember being a teenager, and in my prayer time one time, I was, you know, worried about being alone forever. And uh, I remember asking God this question. I remember thinking to myself, if I could ask God one question, what would I ask him? If I could ask God one question, one time, and he would answer it clearly, what would it be? And I thought about that, and I knew what my question would be. I wanted to ask God this question. Have I met my wife? That was the question I wanted to ask God as a teenager. I just wanted to know. And then the more I thought about it, the more I like read the Bible and recognized that there's a theological significance to our communication with God and recognizing fellowship with him and how pathetic I am. Uh, It was one of those things where I'm like, you know what? Had God answered that question when I was a teenager, it would have completely changed all of my relationships. Because if I was, say, 16 years old, and I asked God, have I met my wife yet? And God were to answer, yes. Well, then I become the overanalytical psycho that just starts going through every person I've ever met thinking, is she, is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? Is, she, is this her? But if God would have said, no, what would have happened? Every single female I would have met from that point in time that was single, I'd be like, is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? You know, it would have been crazy. Yeah, y'all can okay if y'all laugh at this, but I know the truth about some of y'all. Some of y'all had the exact same things growing up, didn't you? That's okay. God knows your heart. You don't have to answer me. It's all good. It was, it was silly, and it was pathetic, and it was kind of the, the way my silly little teenage brain worked at the time. But I tell you that because if God would have answered that question, it would have radically changed every relationship I would have had from that point moving forward. Do y'all understand how, though, right? 
So here we have a man named Simeon, and in verse 26 says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine how this man must have lived his life every day? I would hope, being a man who was a student of God's word, being a man who was a devout follower of God, so much of the fact that the Holy Spirit was on him, that he was so eager to see, recognize, experience the Lord's Messiah. I would imagine that as he was in Jerusalem during this time, that if every day when he woke up, maybe today is the day. Maybe today is the day I'm going to see the Messiah of the Lord. So if, if you're thinking, I'm going to go see the Messiah of the Lord, it could happen any day now. It could happen. It could, today could be the day. Everywhere he went, he was looking for the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine the questions that went through his mind? Is today the day? Well, how, how will I know what they look like? Is it a boy? I'm guessing it's a boy. How, will I know, how old will they be? How am I going to know it's them? Like, are they going to be wearing something? Is the Holy Spirit going to have a son? Like, can you imagine the questions he must have faced? This is where I'm asking you to use your active imagination. Put yourself in his shoes. Now, God had revealed to you, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. I don't know how old Simeon is here based on the fact that he was devout, based on the fact that he knew the law, based on the fact that he was very... Stud- I'm guessing he is an older person. So he's probably thinking... Man, it's getting close. It's got to be getting close. It's got to be getting close. But how am I going to know? How am I going to know? So look at this. Moved by the Spirit, verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. I mean, if you're going to look for the Lord's Messiah, it's a pretty, pretty good place to start looking, wouldn't you think? Well, let's go to the temple. Because surely, if we're going to find the Messiah, he's going to have some type of presence in and around the temple. So he probably spent a lot of his days at the temple. But he didn't just go to the temple to look for the Messiah. He probably looked for the Messiah in other places. But on this day, he was moved by the Spirit and went to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. So this past week, we had Christmas Eve service here, and it was really fun. There were a lot of babies in here, and that's really fun too, is to hear all that new life. And there, were, there was cooing, and there was crying, and there was silence. It was really neat, all the babies that were in here. I'm just going to ask you, I've already told something about me that all of you have already judged me for. Three people have left. I mean, like, it's your turn now. Because there's one in every family, I'm convinced of it. But are you, raise your hand if you're a baby snatcher. Raise your hand if you're a baby. There's somebody that walks into your presence with a baby and you're just like, give me that baby. And you just turn into like ridiculousness, you know? Raise your hand if you're a baby snatcher. Somebody over here? All right, okay, there's a few of you. Okay, yeah, I see that hand. Uh Uh-huh, God forgives. Okay, yeah, I got you. There's that one person that's like, (laughs) I guess all of them are in the nursery right now now that I think about it. They're baby grabbers. Look at this. Verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. I don't know if he was before, but Simeon became a baby grabber. 
man, he, and I don't know, the Holy Spirit obviously revealed to him, here is the Lord's Messiah. What if you were standing in that room and God were to say to you, here's the Messiah. And only you know about it, other than the parents, only you know about it in this room. Would you go to him? Would you take him in your arms? Would you just stand at afar? Would you follow? What would you do? Simeon goes and he, he scoops him up in his arms. And he starts praising God holding this little baby. I told you that my wife is amazing. She's in the nursery right now, actually. She's a baby grabber today. I'll never forget when, when our children both were really small. And they would cry or they would coo or something. My wife would just know what it is they needed. Some of you men in here, y'all married to a woman like that. And I'm like holding and like my daughter would cry. My son would start crying. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with it. It's something's not right. And she would be like, let me see. And she would take the baby and, and would be like, well, they're hungry. How do you know they're hungry? Is there a sign on the diaper that's like hunger? I don't, I never understood that. But she was like, you just see it in their face. You just, you can look in their eyes and see they're tired. You just look, what? I didn't have that language. I didn't know. And he's holding the incarnate God. What do you think his eyes told him? What do you think was written on his face? Can you imagine holding the incarnate God in your hands? Every mother remembers the first time their child was placed in their arms. Every father remembers the first time they held their child. You remember the the wonder and the fear and the questions and the excitement And here Simeon is holding the Lord's Messiah. Wow. I'm sure in the hustle and bustle of the temple courts, especially during this time, there was a lot going on that that not many people recognized what was taking place here. But can you imagine the reverence and the awe and the pure worship that was taking place in that moment? It's, it's enough for us to look at how it's written in God's word and just be awed by it, church. Don't miss these little moments that God gives us in his word to stop and think, wow, what must that have been like to hold the Messiah? Simeon, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, he turned it into a prayer time, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. Mm. 
holding the incarnate God in his hands, he begins to just turn it into a worship service of saying, God, sovereign Lord, he addresses him. You have fulfilled your promise to me by letting me see the Lord's Messiah. And I'm ready to come home. His words were, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You said I could live long enough to see the Lord's Messiah. And now I have seen it. And I'm ready to come home. Church, I know this year has been a hard year for a lot of people. Looking across the congregation, the last several years have been hard for a lot of families in our church. But church, never lose sight that the ultimate goal for our faith and our salvation is to be with God. Don't lose sight of the fact that when we see Jesus and we see the salvation he offers, that that we are awakened to a desire to be with the Father in glory. We all mourn when we lose someone, as we should. But really, we mourn for ourselves for what we have lost. When it is a believer, may we take on the faith of Simeon and say, I have seen Jesus, now Father, bring me home to see you. This is our grand destination, church. And let's celebrate when a believer in Christ gets the fulfillment of his faith to stand in the presence of God Almighty. May we not lose sight of that, church. May we never lose sight of where we are living for. And in the meantime, until God calls us home, until that moment where we're standing in his presence and his kingdom, may we be mindful and obedient to build his kingdom here so that we're not standing alone and without anybody to account for what our faith did on this time on earth. May God receive glory. Look at Simeon's words. His words were actually prophecy in and of themselves. Look what he says in verse 31. You have prepared the salvation for which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to who? To the Gentiles. You see what he says there? He looks at the salvation that comes from God and the Lord's Messiah and he recognizes this salvation is not just for the Jews. This is not just for the consolation of Israel. This is for the Gentiles. This is for all nations. And for us Americans in this room this morning, this is really good news, church, which means Jesus is for you. Jesus is for me. It's not about who we were born to, the bloodlines that we have. It's about the fact that grace covered the law, fulfilled the law, and now because of this baby, because of this Savior, we can have access to the love of God. Praise Him that He, this child, this salvation, was the light for revelation to this Gentile right here. I love the truth of what's being said here. And no wonder in verse 33 it says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Marveled about what was said about him. I can't imagine the the just complete mind-blowing experience they've had as parents up to this point in time. 
I mean, the night he was born, shepherds just like barged in and said, hey, can we worship your baby? And this is still about a year and a half, about a year and 11 months before the wise men showed up. But just the things that were taking place, they marveled at Simeon's words about this, this son of theirs. And they remembered the vision. They remembered the visit from the angel of who this child is and who the child's father was and what his life was to be about. But Simeon kept going in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. He was just talking about who Jesus was to become. How the message that his life would reveal truth, would reveal the hearts of man. And it still does, church. We have to be faithful and obedient to communicate the gospel. Mary and Joseph were obedient in fulfilling God's word by being at the temple that day. And because of their obedience... Because of their obedience, we see a life that was changed and transformed. A man whose joy was fulfilled by seeing and holding the promised Messiah. But I told you a minute ago, if you were envisioning just what that room looked like, the temple courts with him standing there holding that baby, I didn't say nobody recognized what was going on. I said probably not many people recognized what was taking place, but somebody did. Let's keep reading. Verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So here we have Anna known as a prophet or prophetess, she practically lived at the temple because she was so herself devoted to the Lord of worshiping, of praying, of fasting, of being obedient and subservient to whatever God had for her life. She was 84. She was kind of an older lady. And she'd been at the temple for quite a long time. Now, if we take these two variables and put them together, that here's a lady that pretty much lives at the temple... And just before her, there's this man who was seeking out the Lord's Messiah, who was probably an older guy, probably wasn't the first time he had come to the temple to try to find the Messiah. I would imagine that he and Anna probably had some paths crossed at some point in time, and there's even a really good chance that in their paths crossing, after all, when two devout believers cross paths, they tend to talk about one thing, God above. For us, it's Jesus. At least I hope you're intentional about talking about Jesus. That I would imagine that Anna and Simeon might even have a friendship going on in the sense that Simeon might have told her, well, you know what? This might sound crazy. I don't think it will to you, Anna, because, man, you really, and you chase after God so much. I see you praying every day. You know, God told me that that I'm not going to die before I see the Lord's Messiah. (gasps) Really? Yeah. Clear as day. I can't help but wonder if that conversation ever took place 
Or maybe the Holy Spirit just revealed to Anna what was taking place at the very moment. But look at this in verse 38. Coming up to them, them being who? Mary, Joseph, Messiah, Simeon. Coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Man, did you see that? I just wonder, like, what if Anna did know Simeon? And what if Anna did know Simeon's story? And Anna's in the temple courts doing her thing, fasting, praying, worshiping God. And she just so happens to look over and she sees her friend Simeon over there. But this time Simeon's, Simeon's with this really cute little young couple. And there's a baby. And wow, that look on Simeon's... Could it be? And then at that very moment that he's holding God incarnate, at that very moment, God's word, not mine, church. At that very moment, she runs up and begins rejoicing and praising God. And here's Mary and Joseph like, uh, we just got two turtle doves. And now we got two old people praising, can we have our baby back? I mean, like, what is taking place? Regardless if she knew Simeon or not, the beautiful story here is that as Simeon was sitting there praising God and declaring who Jesus was to become, at that very moment, a lady, a prophetess, comes over and starts worshiping God for this Messiah. It says that she went and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was sharing Jesus. Hmm. Just finishing out this little passage, it says, When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, a.k.a. obedience, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. We see Simeon, and we see Anna, and we see two lives transformed It's amazing that we've talked about these two people, but if I go back to where I started this morning, we're talking about obedience. Because Simeon and, I mean, Simeon could still be alive today had Mary and Joseph not been obedient to follow the word of the Lord and how they raised their child. We see obedience, and out of obedience, we see transformation of lives. Even 40 days after Jesus was born, God was already fulfilling promises to people through his life. Do y'all see that, church? Do y'all see what happens when believers live obedient lives? Of how through their obedience and through their testimony of God, of Jesus Christ transforming their life and going out and living it, that it is sparking transformations all over the place. Why? Because God is already at work in the lives of the people around us. Even believers, 
that all it took was Mary and Joseph being obedient to go and be follow the word of the Lord and in doing so sharing Jesus and recognizing people seeing what God had already promised to them how God was already moving in their lives all it took was one person's two people in this situation obedience to see a fire get lit transformation take place and the message of the gospel expanding and going out from that kind of makes you wonder what would happen if I lived my life in accordance to obedience to God's word I wonder if God could use something like that you think so I do too what happens if you being a follower of Christ decided to say you know what 2020 we're going to quit playing games and we're going to try to live biblically in accordance to God's word in submission to his word in submission to obedience to what God has for us and we're going to have plans and we're going to make have family we're going to do our thing and it's going to be great but at the same time we are going to follow God with how we live our marriage how we live as parents how we live as singles whatever we are we're going to strive to live in obedience that's a party but you know what didn't happen in this text church mary and joseph didn't walk in the temple courts and be like look at my baby Woo! messiah's here people gather around The reason I say that is because a lot of times when when you're challenged, when you're tasked with the concept of, hey, go and live out your faith, we think we have to be that person that's just loud and obnoxious and walk around, I'm a Christian, everybody look at me. No. It's just to show up and be obedient. And be consistent in being obedient. It's showing up and being Uh, obeying what God's word has already called us to do. These people didn't show up and like make a big scene. They just showed up because they were being obedient to what God had. And what did God do? He used their obedience to bless the lives of two people and continue to spread the message of this Messiah that has come. What happens when the people of Westmead start living obediently and start living obediently consistently and how we treat others and the words we speak I'm telling you, church, y'all want to see Jesus take a hold of this city? Then let Jesus take a hold of his people. And we follow him according to his word. We don't have to go and sell our houses and live in cardboard boxes or whatever image you think. It's about living out and being what God has called and created us to be. And if you have any questions of what that looks like, it's right here in his word. And I would love to walk with you through that. There's no way we can perfectly perfectly live this out. But that's where the age of grace has taken over. Not for us to go and revel in our failures and be like, oh, well, we're, per- we're not perfect. We're just going to... No, but we pursue Jesus. And in doing so, he's glorified in our obedience. What would happen? Do you believe that God has already planted seeds in the lives of the people around you? Absolutely, he has. The same wonder and curiosity of who God is has already been planted in the mind of every person that is his creation. All it takes is somebody to show up in obedience and show them what the love of Christ looks like. Simeon and Anna, unbelievable missionaries. But it was the obedience of Mary and Joseph 
that sparked a fire? What will our obedience be when it comes to Jesus in our lives? How will we biblically follow God and in doing so keep our eyes open to the opportunities he's going to bring us? Church, let's go into 2020 preparing to share Jesus through our obedience to his word. In just a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a symbol. It's a symbol of our fellowship, our continued fellowship with God. It's a symbol of us as believers recognizing that the life of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension is our gateway. It's our opportunity to have fellowship with God. That salvation is found only in Christ. And because of that salvation, we are co-heirs with Christ and declare God, Abba, Father. And we celebrate this out of obedience to the word of God. We celebrate this as our testimony. Just as a baptism is a symbol of the beginning of our relationship with Christ, this is a symbol of our continuation in our fellowship with Christ. But it happens in obedience. Here at Westmead, we practice an open communion. What that means is that if you profess Jesus as Lord, as your Savior, but maybe you're not a member of our church, we invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. But at the same time, because it's an act of obedience, because it's a celebration of our fellowship with God, it's not for everybody. And what I mean by that is, that if you know or you're not sure if your salvation is found in Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, or you've never asked him to be Lord of your life, then I'm just going to ask you, let, when, when the elements pass in just a few minutes, just pass them on. You don't have to take anything. It's okay. It's, it's not like people are going to look at you. Trust me. They're scared to death not to drop the thing. They're not looking at you. But if you're not sure if your relationship is, with, if you have a relationship with Christ, let it pass. But in doing so, pray, God, show me. Show me who you are. If you're a believer in this room, but if you have something in your life that is broken fellowship with you and God or broken fellowship between you and another believer in Christ, I'm asking you to let it pass by until you go before the Father and make it right to re- and let him restore that re- relationship with you through repentance. Until you go to that person that you've wronged or has wronged you and practice forgiveness there. Lord's Supper is not for perfect people. That's why we take it. But if we knowingly know of a reason why we are not in healthy fellowship with God, then we should let it pass. And we do so because we're obedient to the Word of God. This morning, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, as our men come down, I ask you to just go ahead and bow your heads as we enter into a time of reflection and worship. And during this time, I I encourage you, ask God to examine your heart. Ask God to reveal to you any impurities or or any sin that you haven't acknowledged before him. Ask God to open your eyes to fellowship you have with him have you ever given your life to Christ if you have is there anything that stands between you and God in which you can't celebrate your relationship with him this morning
if there is something, I encourage you to take this time. Take it before the Father. Seek his will in those situations. Just take just a few minutes to pray and ask God to prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, this morning as we are gathered here today, we thank you for your word that's living and true. Your word that teaches us and shows us, encourages us, corrects us, rebukes us, Father. But God, keep, keep us mindful of the fact that your word is not given to us for just simple reading material or for us just to kind of get a glimpse of of your perspective, and then walk away from it. God, your word was given to us to transform us so that we can become a little bit more of how you created us to be, God. So for the person in this room, Father, that honestly cannot say whether or not they've ever given their life to you, maybe there's doubt, maybe there's questions. God, maybe it's somebody that says, I've never trusted the Lord as Savior as my life. God, I pray even now, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to them their need for you. And God, in revealing their need for you, that you would make it abundantly clear to them of your availability to them. And God, in just a few minutes after we celebrate this Lord's Supper, that they would surrender their lives to you in our time of invitation. And God, I pray that you would meet every believer in this room where they are. And you would unveil their eyes to unconfessed sin or issues and areas in their life that they're not being submissive to you. And God, that's not not to reveal it to them to create a barrier for them. But God, you eliminate barriers so that you give us full access to you. God, may, may the believers see you're pursuing us by eliminating these obstacles. And may they respond in repentance so that in a few minutes we can celebrate our fellowship with you. God, may we know that this Lord's Supper is not a salvation experience. It is a symbol of our salvation experience. It is an echo of when we began our relationship with you and a continued fellowship with you, Father. And God, even now as we participate in this, as we take the elements as we take the bread, as we take the cup, that we would remember that it was your body broken, it was your blood shed, not just on a cross, but was broken on account of my sins. Your blood was shed to not cover, but eliminate, to wash away our sins. And God, when we partake, when we actively participate in this Lord's Supper, that we celebrate the vanquishing of our sins, the beauty of a relationship with you through Christ, and the hope we have of seeing you face to face one day in your kingdom. Be glorified, God, now in this time. In your name we pray.
Amen. a minute ago 